And now for something completely different. A radio show about books. Didn't think it through at all. Inconceivable! <laughs> yes, the show's serious. That's totally a thing. Thank you. Tarzan of the Apes. Brought to you from out the pages of Edgar Rice Burroughs' immortal book. Oh, wow. In the beginning, the universe was created. This has made a lot of people very angry and been widely regarded as a bad move. And now for your host, Daniel Thompson, a completely underqualified buffoon who has no idea why he's here in the first place. And all were amazed and said, this guy is really good. Do you do children's parties? Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I am Daniel Thompson, and you are listening to the Very Serious Writing Show. Make no doubt about that. Today, it is 47 degrees with a 40% chance of rain in Mission, Canada. Oh, my Canadian friends, thank you so much for listening today. We have a very special guest in today. I say that every day. Every day. Even on days where I'm not putting out a podcast. I'll just turn to one of my friends and be like, you know what? We have a very special guest in today. <laughs> but we do, we really do. We got Nadine Brandis in today. She's the author of the book, A Time to Die. Also, it's sequel, Time to Live, and coming up this fall, A Time to Rise. If you haven't guessed already, her books kind of have to do with time. A little bit, kind of, sort of-ish. We're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking also about editors, because that's interesting. And beta readers. Editing and beta reading as a combo prep for publication, which I think is a really cool idea. And we're also going to talk about all the fun random things. We get to some of your questions, and of course, we have a lovely midsection. So stay tuned, everyone, and welcome again to the Very Serious Writing Show. You're here because we want the best, and you're it. Nope, couldn't keep a straight face. I am no man. How you doing today, Nadine? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Crack a lacking. It's a good day to be alive. I'd <laughs> yes, even, it is. I'd even say it's a good day to be awake. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> Which is pretty impressive for a Tuesday. <laughs> I know. What you been Early up to? Early blues. Yes. Yep. I've been finishing up the edits on my third book today. Oh, have you? This mm-hmm. is, is this the third book in the uh, uh, Time to Die? Mm-hmm. In the Out of Time series. It's the last one. It's, it's the last one. You're ending off with the trilogy, huh? Yep. It's kind of bittersweet. Yeah, it, it's got to be. When is, when's mm-hmm. the third book coming out? Uh, this fall. I don't know a set release date, but uh, the past two released in October, so I would assume this one would follow suit. Okay, you're doing your revisions on it. Do you send it to an editor? How do you how do you go about polishing it? Um, I polish as best I can, and then I send it to the publishing house's editor, which she's already gone through it once. So this was kind of applying all of the big feedback, and then now I'm sending it back to her for the line edit, which is looking at more technical things. Mm. So uh, who, who's the editor? Are you You're publishing with Enclave, right? Yes, uh-huh. And my editor is Karen Ball, and she's also my agent. Oh, hey, that worked out nice. I know. She's 
She is a multi-talented woman and quite fantastic to know. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Enclave, you, you Enclave riders are cool. I've, I've <laughs> enjoyed it. talking to I've talked to a, a ton of people from the Enclaves, and it's just a cool house. Yeah, yeah. It's really neat what both Jeff and Steve have done with it. And uh, it's a community of authors. When I was first contracted a few years ago, I didn't know how much of a family they were. So it was pretty cool to be inducted into that. <laughs> Yeah, I've, any company that you have like that family atmosphere is just way cool, and I, I appreciate that, and I'm glad to hear that Enclave is that. So, mm-hmm. A Time to Die, your your first is it your first published novel? Yes, it is. It's it's a very dramatic title. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I I admit I did have to cringe a couple times when when kind parents would ask, <laughs> oh, what, what's the title of your book that you want my daughter to read? A Time to <laughs> oh, Die. A Time to Die. <laughs> Dramatic. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> uh, yep, but it fits the book, and so I just had to keep it. Well, absolutely. You have the literal death clock thing happening, mm-hmm. which is really cool. I've seen like short films that have used the idea, and it's, it's an out-there idea. What was it like working with the idea? Uh, it was really fun. I... It kind of came to me out of the blue, and so it felt uh, like I finally had my original idea. And because of that, um, I was able to just get so much more excited and brainstorming the story as well as just looking at how it affects my own life. Because writing this book really changed a lot of how I live and how my husband lives. Uh, So it was pretty life-changing. How so? How did it change the way you... Yeah. Um, It really made us more intentional about life because uh, what spurred the idea was the death of an acquaintance of ours. And I didn't know him very well, but he was my age. And I thought, wow, he was really young and now he's gone and he did so much with his life. It was like something inside of him knew that he didn't have that much time. Hmm. And so I just started thinking, what if I only had a year left? You know, am I spending it in a way that's pleasing to the Lord? that's fulfilling? Am I being intentional with everything that I do or am I letting myself be lazy? And so those questions, you know, I've been having to address them in my own life for the past five years of writing the series. And then because my husband's married to me, he, of course, was forced to address them as well. (laughs) That's fun. But it's been so good for us. It's been really neat to see our lives just become more intentional since writing those books. I guess if that's the theme of your story, you kind of have to live up to it. Exactly. So uh, you and your husband, do you, does he like read the stuff that you do as you're writing it? How, how involved is he in the process? Uh, he knows all the spoilers and knows all of the story. <laughs> I talk to him a lot. He's not an avid reader, so he, uh, he's still reading through them, but he knows the entire story because I talk about it and I brainstorm it with him. So. Um, he's kind of my soundboard and my supporter. He's very, very involved, but just he, I don't force him to read every version <laughs> of every book. I tried that with the first one and we learned that's not good for us. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's really <laughs> helpful to have a, a soundboard person. I yes. really love it when I can talk to someone about, about what's happening. I, I tend to come up with my best ideas while trying to explain. Mm-hmm. Yes, that happens to me too. Yeah. So you it's post-apocalyptic. Uh yeah. Is the story mm-hmm. setting and is that is that synonymous with dystopia or is it different? 
Uh, it's a little different, but my book is kind of both. So post-apocalyptic is mostly, um, if you were to pick up to pick up just a post-apocalyptic book, it's kind of looking at people trying to survive in a destroyed world. Mm -hmm. um, dystopian is people trying to survive under an oppressive government. So you can have that oppressive government in a world that's had some sort of disaster befall it. And so you can mesh the two. They're often meshed in a lot of books. And so I think people sometimes confuse the genres, but they can be separate genres. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm seeing the difference. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I hate using this, this concept because I don't, I don't watch the show, but like The Walking Dead would be post-apocalyptic while Hunger Games. It's just the difference of what's, what the people are trying to survive. Yeah. Okay. I, so. I haven't watched The Walking Dead, so I, I haven't either. <laughs> that you're correct. I mean, I haven't seen anything about governments in like the promotional material, but mm -hmm. yeah, trying to avoid getting sucked into that one. Yeah, I'm There's... not. I'm not a huge zombie fan, no. which kind of makes me an outcast in in my <laughs> speculative fiction world. <laughs> no, no kidding. What what fandoms do you do? Uh, I'm a huge, a huge Harry Potter nerd. All uh, right. I Harry Potter. So I tend to lean toward the fantasy side yeah. of fandoms. Um, yeah, so I really like Harry Potter. Obviously, I'm a fan of The Hunger Games and Divergent, though I have mixed feelings about how those series concluded, but I liked how they delivered the dystopian feel to their books. Yeah, in terms of I, I, I like the Hunger Games. I haven't read uh, Divergent. Mm. I feel mm -hmm. like I feel like I don't need to. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah. guess that's where I'm at. But mm -hmm. uh, when I read the third Hunger Games book, I was like, eh, okay. But I thought the movie really delivered. Yes, that last the movie. He's redeemed those books for me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I loved the first book. And that's the only one where I feel like the movie and the book were kind of equal. Maybe mm -hmm. the movie is a little less interesting. But um, with the third book, I just, I thought the book ended so depressing and yes. I was really unsatisfied with the ending. And that was one thing that spurred me to make the Out of Time series dystopian is because I wanted to show that there can be hope even in those dystopian stories. Because I feel like with both The Hunger Games and Divergent, they get very void of hope at the end, and it's not a very uplifting message. And I wanted to show that with Christ, there can be hope, even in a dystopic world. Yeah, so, I mean, it's not a very hopeful title, A Time to Die. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know, but they get kind of progressive, progressively better. A Time to Die, A Time to Speak, and then book three is A Time to Rise. Ah ha ha. Very dramatic. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that the third one's coming out this 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 coming fall. Yes. And so, how long have you been working on this series? Um, I let's see. A Time to Die came out in 2014, and that was about four years after I started working on it. Okay. So that one, I had the luxury of no deadlines, so I was able to take three whole beautiful years to write it. And then oh. I wrote the next two in 18 months. <laughs> yeah, it was a learning process for sure. <laughs> yeah, are you, are, do you write full time? Uh, I do not. My main job is freelance editing. So I kind of split that half and half. I'll, I work you know, half the week doing editing, usually Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. And then Thursday and Friday are writing days. Okay, yeah, I want to talk more about the editing services, but first I had a couple questions 
from listeners that I want to pull up because they're they, oh. they they land on the more writing side of things as opposed to the uh, the editing side. Ah, mm-hmm. yeah, I got a person from the OEN forums whose name is Cobalt Girl, and she she just wants to know what your favorite part of writing is. Is it the idea stage? Is it the actual in in the trenches writing stage, or is it the tweaking? Um. I, I love the idea stage a lot that inspires me to survive the writing stage. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think because I'm an editor, I enjoy the editing and the tweaking stage more because my first drafts just don't come out very pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, but recently, my favorite stage, which I don't know if I can even take credit for this, but my favorite part of writing is when I let beta readers write it, or read it, excuse me. Yeah. And then they give me feedback about the themes and the messages and the spiritual threads that they've seen through the book that I didn't even intentionally write, but it's in there. Because that right there is the evidence of God working through me instead of me just you know, hoping that I can send some great message and it not coming through. Um, that happens all the time, all these different threads that they see that I didn't intend, but it's changed readers' lives and I had nothing to do with it. Yeah. Now, how, where do you get beta readers? Or is it just people that you trust, that you know, or do you, is there like a website where you find people like this? No, I usually ask um, from, I have kind of my core people that um, have been with me through the writing process and so I'll usually send it to them. And then um, I will often put on my like on my Facebook page or my social media, um, I'm looking for three beta readers, comment, and then I'll draw randomly. And so I'll usually draw three random names and then just get that general feedback from whoever happens to volunteer. That's a good system. What's what stage in the process do you do you do that? I usually do that after I've had the big content edit from my editor so after she said hey your plot is completely messed up and then I sit (laughs) then I'll call in the beta readers because they'll catch the smaller things Um, because in my mind beta readers are crucial to publishing a book because they're more readers whereas an editor is looking with a critical eye and they understand the industry your readers are the ones who love your characters they're invested in the story so they're going to have completely different feedback than an editor could ever give. So you need both of those people on your team to come out with a good product. Right. Okay. Now, hey, I've got another question. This is from Liberty Free, also on the OEN forums, because apparently I have listeners there. Um, oh. how, and this this is regarding your story world. She's wondering how much technology do you let exist in your world? And uh, if, if it does, how much of it is the same as today? So in your post-apocalyptic, how much leftover technology is there? How do you work that? Um, I kind of have the two types of people. I have the low cities and they're kind of um, not as well off. They don't have a lot of technology. They don't even really have electricity. And then I have the higher cities that um, have salvaged the technology and they just continue inventing different things. Uh, so I have a lot of technology when we start exploring the high cities and I enjoy getting into the tech side of things and trying to think, okay, where, where might, you know, MP3 players go in the future and that sort of thing and kind of stretching the imagination, but trying to keep it as realistic as possible. Um, I use a lot of nanotechnology research Mm. when coming up with my different technology items uh, in my story. And so most of the stuff that I, created 
could be possible. I don't know that it ever will, but there's kind of you know, a scientific base that hypothesizes this could happen someday. <laughs> um, or, you know, I'll read uh, papers by scientists who, who predict inventions in the future and then I'll just take my own spin off of some of the things that they predicted. So, yeah. That's a good way to do research. Um, do you use like, I mean, I'm up here at a college, so I have access to like these databases of all these are scientific journals. Do you do, do you get that deep or do you mostly do online research? Um, I got that deep when I started this series because I was actually in graduate school at the time. Nice. So I did have access. Yeah, I know. So I had access to all of that. Um, and I established all the technology before I ended up graduating. And now that I'm not there, I'm realizing how much harder it is to get accurate research <laughs> since I don't have access to all the school databases. Mm -hmm. School databases are so nice. Yes, they are. Yeah, I, I have tried using Google Scholar a little bit, mm -hmm. but it's, it's, not, it's just not the same. It's just not the same. Yeah. You're listening to a podcast. The weight of your Monday hangs heavily on your soul. You recognize the background music. You recognize the ominous voiceover of the podcast's commercial break. Emotion surges within you. You're listening to a Loot Crate commercial with Shia LaBeouf. These commercials are your favorite. They were honestly the only reason you've continued listening to the podcast at all. And at last, one has returned. You sit back and listen in anticipation. And there he is. Shia LaBeouf. His eyelids twitch in incomprehensible flurry. His ambiguous frown brings a joy to your soul. And in his hand is a box that does not in fact have the words Loot Crate written across it in large friendly letters. For Loot Crate is not actually a sponsor of the very serious writing show. You are astonished, perplexed, flabbergasted even. Shia LaBeouf reaches into the box and retrieves a wheat thin. You take a deep breath. Wheatons must now be the official sponsor of the Very Serious Writing Show. This brings you a great calm deep in your bosom until Shia LaBeouf unleashes a terrible yodeling cry. You are unsettled. You have no idea which direction this commercial is going. Your hands twitch. Shia LaBeouf is in your dining room preparing a ham sandwich for some unknown party. What the devil is going on? Your roommate makes a whale noise from the other side of the wall. Suddenly, the podcast resumes, leaving no trace or mention anywhere within of Shia LaBeouf. But editing, how'd you get into editing? Well, funny you should ask. My husband and I had been married for not even a year, and as you tend to hear about newly married couples, we mm. were... Very, very tight in our pocketbooks. Um, and I had a side job that I was doing while I was still trying to write. And I didn't enjoy it. And I just got into the situation where I needed to leave that job because it wasn't healthy for me. And I was thinking, well, what should I do? Because I have to have a job. Um, and uh, I, you know, I heard this little voice in my head like, what about freelance editing? Which has always been a dream of mine. But I've always written it off because... I didn't go to school for writing. I just kind of have, I guess, a natural eye for some of it. And in my mind, I didn't think that that would be good enough for people to hire me. Mm -hmm. um, 
but that prompting just wouldn't let me go and I felt like I was the one writing it off where God was saying why aren't you trying it like I'm here you should give it a go so um, I ended up quitting my job and I hastily threw together a website put out some giant deal of a deal for people to get a whole edit for like a hundred dollars just trying to get my name out. I know now that it's been years later I'm like wow I really should have charged a little bit more <laughs> but but it worked uh, great for me and ever since then I've just gotten more and more clients who continue to return and uh, you know a lot of it was God making it succeed because we were stepping out with a leap of faith uh, and then the rest was just that I came across all the right clients and they trust me. Um, and then halfway through, or a couple years in, then Jeff Gerke, the founder of March Lord Press, which is now Enclave Publishing, he does freelance editing. Yeah. And he brought me on as an apprentice. So he continued to train me. And so I also edit for his clients and then I edit my own clients. That is so cool. Yeah, I've had Jeff on the show before and Jeff is so awesome. Yeah, he's pretty great. Yeah, when I when I inevitably start towards publication, I may I may be jumping over to him. But if I were to come to you for an edit, what would that process be like? Do you only edit certain types of books? Do you edit anything? What what's it like for you? Um, I only edit fiction, uh, so that's kind of my big my biggest rule. But aside from that, I'll and I'll edit pretty much any fiction. I tend to attract authors of science fiction, fantasy, you know, all mm -hmm. the speculative fiction subgenres, but I do get a lot of contemporary authors um, or self-published authors. So to look at my editing services and to contact me and see my schedule, it's all on my website, which is nadinebrandis.com. And there's a little tab that leads the viewer to my editing services. But um, yeah, it's pretty. It's a pretty simple process. Okay. And your website is gorgeous, by the way. Oh, thank you. It is a really nice website. I've been to a lot of author websites. This one is nice. Well, that's very encouraging to hear. I because I did it myself. And did I you? Spent, I did, and it was it was horrible, but it came out so good. It took me so long to learn all the different <laughs> behind the scenes stuff. I watched a million YouTube how tos. Uh, so it's it's nice to hear that positive feedback. Thank you. Yeah, I've been working on my website all week, and I props to you because that is <laughs> that is very nice. Yeah. While I was on there, while I was mm -hmm. on your website, I saw a tab called Street Team. Yes. And I was like, hey, that looks that looks interesting. What what is that? And that's actually fairly new. Oh, sorry, I didn't know if you were asking me. Or <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I looked into it. Why don't you explain it for me? Because I, I read through it, but. What is, what is a street team? Okay. Um, a street team is kind of this permanent team that you have that's committed to um, promoting your books word of mouth or if they have social media, just sharing. There aren't huge requirements. It's just the people who enjoy my reading and uh, who like me, like my books and want to help get the word out. So I do ask street team members to review the book when it's come out. Um, and if they can to purchase it, uh, also to request their libraries to carry it. So they're just helping to spread the word about that book. And with my past two releases, I put together launch teams, mm -hmm. which I would have people apply and then I'd select 25 to 30 people um, 
And then they would help me launch the book for, you know, a six week span. And it was really successful, but it was so stressful for all of us because it's kind of this intense, you know, there's something to do every day. And then we all felt like our social medias were just being flooded with, mm -hmm. you know, the book release is in five days, it's in four days. And it just, um, I didn't enjoy it. And I think, I don't think my launch team members enjoyed it as much as I wanted them to. Mm. Uh, so then I started researching street teams and I really liked the idea of it being not quite as intensive as well as being permanent because I disbanded the launch teams with both the previous launches so that they don't feel like they're just stuck to me. Um, and this way, the street team, the people are joining in knowing that they're in it for good, you know, unless they want to leave, I'm not going to keep them there, but yeah. they're kind of committing to just being there until they feel like leaving. Um, and they're coming, uh, knowing that it's long-term and they know the, the things that I ask of them. Uh, so the people that I have on my street team right now are just fantastic. They're already like a giant family. Um, so it's exciting to see what that means right now and what that can mean with future launches. It's very grassroots mm -hmm. in, in, ter in terms of an advertising campaign. Mm -hmm. and. I saw there's like benefits to the people who are on the team. They get onto uh, like this Facebook group of yours. They get, uh -huh. they get, they get perks. And I think it's a great idea. Well, thank you. Yeah, it is really, really cool. I'm going to, I'm, I'm all these marketing ideas. I'm a marketing student at college at the oh, moment. Okay. So I'm like, Hey, I haven't heard of this one. It was just, yeah, awesome. okay. So third and final book coming out. What are you doing afterwards? I am currently working on a young adult fantasy, and I have actually a lot of fantasy ideas that I would like to pursue. So as much as I love dystopian, I think I'll be taking the fantasy road for a while. Okay. Um, yeah, my uh, agent and I are currently pursuing um, just submitting to all the publishing houses out there, including Enclave, because mm -hmm. I love Enclave. But we're just putting out some feelers to see if there's any other interest. And uh, for now... Just waiting to see where that goes. All right, and you're not going to come back to this uh, this a time to die series. There's not going to be any a time to run away screaming or a time to play <laughs> disc golf or. <laughs> I know. Uh, I don't think so. If I were to do anything, I would probably just write some short stories about some different characters and have them as free perks to people in my newsletter, mm. um, and just you know conclude a couple. A couple little things that some readers have brought up, but that don't fit into the third book. So that's as far as I've thought, but I won't say no for certain. Okay. Okay. Well, hey, where can everyone find you on like the social medias and everything? Uh, my main ones, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Those are my favorites. And uh, so, yeah, you can find me on there. My handle is Nadine Brandis. On Facebook, it's Nadine Brandis Author. And uh, yeah, and then my website is nadinebrandis.com. So as long as you can spell my name, <laughs> you'll find me. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty simple. Hey, would you be interested in doing like an ebook giveaway or? Oh, for, for... absolutely. Yeah? Yeah. I would love to give away an ebook of the first two books that are both out A Time to Die and A Time to Speak. To Sweet. Like it. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Do you want them to go sign up? Uh, to your newsletter for a drawing or how do you want them to do it? Yeah, sign up for my newsletter and I'll just keep track of every name that's uh, that's coming in from this point forward and then I will draw the winner from those sign-ups. Awesome, perfect. Nadine, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been a joy talking to you. 
Yes, thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure. Awesome. Well, hey, you have a lovely day. I will catch you again sometime. All right. You take care, Daniel. Tonight, I should be carrying on from where I got to last week when I was showing you how to defend yourself against anyone who attacks you armed with a piece of fresh fruit. If you have not yet been informed, you are listening to a podcast titled The Very Serious Writing Show. You shot him dead. Why he was attacking me with a banana? The end. Yeah, there's nothing left. Just the end. This concludes today's episode of The Very Serious Writing Show. There is no more. You may all go home now. Or to your Facebook feeds. Or to the OEN forum. Or to wherever else you want to go now that you are done listening to this podcast. You may cease in your working out or in your car driving or in what other activity you are doing while also listening to the very serious writing show. It is ceasing to be. The podcast episode will be no more. We are finished. This is done. It's over. You can go home now. You won't get anything else until Monday. Unless I post some more blog things. Which I suppose I should mention that I have a blog now. On the very... No, not the very... On thatguywiththehat.com. I have a blog now. It exists. There's a really nasty picture of Leonardo DiCaprio. I recommend you read that. It's very nasty. But it's also heartwarming. In some type of really odd bizarre way you can follow Nadine in all the places we just mentioned and please do sign up for her book because you know free books I'm a strong believer in free things so yes so long farewell I'll feed to say adieu 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 to you and you and you it's over folks it's come to a close <laughs>